Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here this morning, and I bring you greetings from the uh, North American Christian Convention, uh, where I got to be uh, just about 10 days ago. Uh, Man, just an excellent time fellowshipping with other pastors and church leaders from all over the country. Uh, There's somewhere between five and 6,000 of us gathered in Kansas City, Missouri at the convention center there, and just a great time of worship, a great time of collaboration, talking about what's going on in our churches, Um, a great time to see uh, friends and pastors from all over and some of my mentors and friends and get to spend some time with them. And it was just a really great time. So uh, appreciate uh, your prayers and, and support as we get to go to these conferences that fill our cups so that we can uh, come back and hopefully fill yours. Uh, we are starting a new series today called Uncensored Truth. Now we're going to be going through uh, several topics in the next few weeks. Uncensored Truth about God is today. Next week's about Jesus. Next week about the Holy Spirit and the Bible about the church and about uh, angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. And so we're going to be talking about these things. It's going to be a great, great time to uh, be here this summer. And uh, I know I know that it's hot outside, but it'll be nice and, and uh, cool in here. So we want you to uh, be here, and it's a great time to bring a friend, uh, bring someone with you as well. Sometimes in life, we have cases of mistaken identity. I don't know if you've ever done that. If you ever thought you saw someone and you went to them and Maybe it was them, maybe it wasn't. Uh, when I was a small child, I thought I saw the guy off of Mary Poppins on an airplane. And my parents kept telling me, no, it's not the guy off Mary Poppins, which would be Dick Van Dyke. But it actually was. I actually saw him, and it was. So uh, that wasn't a case of mistaken identity. But, you know, it's weird nowadays because when I was a kid, it was different. When I was a kid, you could not buy an authentic uniform for any sport, football, basketball. Nowadays, you can actually get a legitimate jersey. I mean, if you wanted a Russell Westbrook jersey, you could actually buy one, and it's exactly what he wears on the floor. I mean, it's the exact same thing. I paid, cost you, you know, two or $300 to get an authentic jersey, but you can get one of those. And, you know, it's one of those things I walk around sometimes in the state of Oklahoma, and I remember when Durant used to, you know, play for us, and I'd see those uniforms everywhere. People are always wearing those uniforms, you know, and I always walk up to them and go, man, you know, I, I thought Durant would be a little taller, you know, than, than this guy here. And, you know, I, I just really thought that, that, that he'd be a little, a little skinnier, you know, than, than what I'm seeing here. And it just always cracks me up when people wear uniforms with other people's names on their back because I'm thinking, oh, and I always joke with my girls. I'm always like, oh, look, it's Russell Westbrook. They're like, Dad, it, it isn't. But, you know, we have, we have times where we have mistaken identities. And I think, if we're honest, we have mistaken identities with God sometimes. Some of us, uh, we see God as a cop, someone who's trying to enforce the rules and, and someone who's looking to nail us when we're doing something wrong. Some of us, we have a mistaken identity of God that we see him as an unmovable bias to judge. He's just here to judge people. Some of us, uh, we have a, a, a mistaken identity that, that God is angry and that he punishes us with tornadoes and hurricanes. And Some of us, we see God as an old man with long white hair. He's benevolent, but he's boring, and he looks something like we imagine Father Time. Some of us, we mistake God for a genie. It's just there to grant our wishes and our requests. You know, we have on-demand TV. We want an on-demand God. For some of us, our mistaken identity of God is Santa Claus. We ask him for what we want, and if we're good, then he might get it for us. Some of us, we view God as a phenomenal cosmic power, that controls everything but has no relationship with the creation. But the reality is, your view of God 
impacts every area of your life. Your view of God impacts every area of your life. Think about this. It impacts your view of other people. It impacts, it impacts your, how you handle problems that come in your life. You're going to depend on your power. You're going to depend on God's power. It affects how you manage your money. We just finished a series last month talking about finances. On the road again to financial freedom. It affects how you manage your money. Your view of God affects how you work in the workplace, how you deal with issues that arise in your life and in the world, how you handle stress and pressure. What do you do with your time? All of these decisions about life really depend on and hinge upon your view of God. You see, your view of God affects even your self-image, your self-esteem, your relationship with other people. Your whole life centers around what your view of God is. And I believe as, as Christians, we must develop a healthy and a high view of God. Because so many of us, we have a very low view of God. We, we, we go through a worship time like this, and I appreciate our worship team and the time, the effort, and if you just knew the technical cues that went into this morning's worship set, it was amazing. But to bring us to a, a point where we see God as high, we see him as exalted, we see him as lifted up, we see him as holy, we see him as set apart and as different from the world. Because so many of us, well, Jesus is our buddy, he's our friend, he's something I do on Sunday mornings for a couple hours, uh, I put him away during the week, you know, it's it just that, that's who God is. But we have a very low view of God, and that needs to change. Talking about change, we've seen a lot of change in our lives. It's something that, that happens all the time. It seems like today, more than at any t other time in our history, things change faster than ever. Think about these things that have changed in life from just 100 years ago. 100 years ago, the average life expectancy was 47. Today, we're pushing 87. 100 years ago, only 14% of U.S. homes had a bathtub. A hundred years ago, only 8% of homes had a telephone. A hundred years ago, the max speed limit in most cities was 10 miles per hour. I thought maybe it was 10 miles per day, but it was just prior. Um, over 95% of U.S. births took place in the home. The other 5%, you only went to the hospital if there was a complication of some type. The population of of places like Las Vegas, Nevada, was 1,500 people, and it was settled out on 110 acres. You can imagine what the population of Vegas and the square uh, miles of territory that Vegas is today. The population of Enid, Oklahoma, 100 years ago, was just under 15,000 people. It was 17 years ago that Google ran its first beta test on its website. Today, for most of us, Google is a way of life. Maybe you Googled something this morning. Facebook started just 13 years ago. And YouTube, yes, YouTube played its first video 12 years ago this month. These things are common to us now, but those were big changes on the horizon back then. Today, things are changing ever more quickly. And change is inevitable. We're going to go through changes in life. And even in the church, we're going to see some things change over time. And change many times is good. But sometimes change is uncomfortable. But I want to tell you there's only one thing in life that never changes. And that is God. God never changes. The Bible unilaterally and categorically 
declares that God does not change. He never changes. Look what it says in Malachi 3.6. I, the Lord, do not change. In Hebrews 13.8, talking about God in the Son, Jesus Christ, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God doesn't change. That's why we anchor to him. And that's why it's important that we have a high view of him in our life. Let's open the word together this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. You're also welcome to follow along on your tablet or on your phone. You can do that through the church app. Go to Connect. You can uh, go uh, to the sermon notes right there. And there's also a Bible in front of you. If you just want to grab that Bible, turn it to page 600. You'll be right where we're going to be this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 25. So the prophet Isaiah here, he's speaking to us, and he's sharing a message about God's power and his character. And in this passage this morning, we're going to draw out some characteristics of who God really is. So let's start here in verse 25, Isaiah chapter 40. And this is the Lord speaking here, and he says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. And see, who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. He's talking about the stars. He's talking about the universe and the galaxies here. Calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. That was talking about a time when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They're wandering around in the desert. And it says, hey, are our ways hidden from the Lord? Well, of course they're not hidden from the Lord. God knows everything. Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. In verse 25 at the beginning of this passage, it starts with a rhetorical question. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Who can compare to God? The first thing we can learn this morning from our passage is that God has no equal. He is eternal and he is self-existent. It refers to him there as the Holy One, which means one who is set apart, high and lifted up, separate and different from the world. If you are set apart, if you are different, you are a person that is holy. It's saying that God is the essence of holiness. He is really the only holy one. And though we are called to be like him, to attain some of God's holy attributes, we will never be just like God because he has no equal. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Moses was having a conversation with God. Listen to what it says. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
except I'm sure it was more like this. I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is one of those times, I mean, I just get goosebumps studying it, thinking about it, that God describes himself and God's name is I am. And it's like he's saying, I am. I'm everything. Are you great? I am. Are you awesome? I am. Are you powerful? Are you all that? I am. I just, I just am. I am. I am who I am. You see, Moses wanted to know God's name, and God says, I am. I'm everything that you can think of that's wonderful and powerful and mighty and high and lifted up. I am. In that moment when God answers his question about his name, God is showing his eternal and his infinite personhood. He always was. He always is. And he will always be because he is God. God was telling Moses his name. And maybe telling him even more about himself. You see, God was telling Moses, I am the center of everything that happens in your life. I am running the show. I am the same today, every day, forever. I am the owner of everything that you have. I am the Lord. I am the creator of life. I'm the sustainer of life. I am the savior of all those who will go to heaven. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible. I am immeasurable. I am the Lord God. And in a heartbeat, Moses knew God's name. And he also learned some other things about God. But there's even something more I think Moses got out of that moment. Moses finally knew his name. Because if God is I am, then Moses' name must be I am not. I am not the center of everything. I am not in control. I am not the solution. I am not all-powerful. I am not calling the shots. I am not the owner of everything I have. I am not the savior of myself, and I am not the Lord God. And you know, it may be a little weird for us to define ourselves by what we are not, but we learn here from the Bible that we're supposed to decrease and that God is supposed to be on the increase in our lives. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist was baptizing people. And just a little, a little distance away, Jesus was baptizing people. And some of the people that were following John the Baptist came over and said, Hey, 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 what about Jesus over here? He's baptizing people just like you're baptizing people. You know, what should we do? Listen to John the Baptist's response, John 3.30. It says, He must increase, but I must decrease. And that's the way it should be in our lives. Because God is... I am. God is, I am everything, and he has no equal. And then we get to verse 26, and there's another rhetorical question here. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Yeah, who, who created all the galaxies and the stars and, and all of that? That's what it's talking about there in verse 26. It's amazing because God remembers all the names of all the stars that he created. God's memory doesn't change. God's memory doesn't change. The Bible says that God forgives and forgets our sins. And that he remembers them no more. Sins are the only thing that God forgets. And he forgets those through forgiveness. But he forgets those by choice. He chooses to forget our sins. But he never forgets us. He will always remember you. You will always be on his mind. You know, sometimes as we age and we get older, we forget things. I have so much coming at, 
at me sometimes, I'm realizing that I forget things. I get over 1,200 emails a month. If you average that out, it's about 40 emails a day. As I look at through all those emails, I have this system set up in my inbox that until I deal with the email, then I uh, keep it in my inbox. Before I left for the NACC, just to be an example, I had one email in my inbox. That means I had one thing on my to-do list. As of last night, when I looked in my email, I have 19 things that are holding in my inbox. There's 19 things that I need to get done. I need those things as a reminder. Many times on Sunday mornings, uh, some of you will come tell me things. You'll share stories. You'll have a question. Hey, can you look this up? Can you talk about this? Can you talk to this person for me? Can you do this? And many times, if you've ever done that on a Sunday morning, I will give you the same response, won't I? I will say, would you please email that to me so I can read it in my inbox so I can remember during the week. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God is so awesome. He doesn't need any help. He remembers everything. He's so mighty and so powerful He doesn't need anyone's help to remember anything. And here in verse 26, it talks about the stars. It's talking about the stars and the galaxies. And that God knows every one of them, that he calls them each by name. Now, here's here's an interesting fact from uh, scientists. They say there are over 70 sextillion stars in the universe. 70 sextillion stars. That would be 70,000 million, million, million stars in the universe. Okay, look at this number on the screen. This is what that number is. Okay, that's seven followed by 22 zeros. Scientists estimate that number to be 10 times greater than the number of grains of sand on all of the Earth's beaches combined. All the grains of sand on all the Earth's beaches everywhere times 10 is less than that number right there. And God created all the stars and all the galaxies and all the universes one by one, and he knows their name. God created every one of them, and just like he created us, he knows us. He knows our name. Back, he knows everything about you. I remember growing up, my parents would tell me that God even knows the number of hairs on your head. And I don't know why that always stuck with me. It's like, God knows everything here. God even knows the number of hairs on my head. I'm like, really? I never saw that in the Bible, never heard that in Sunday school or anything. And then run across this, Matthew 10, chapter 30, it says, And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. You can also find that in Luke's gospel as well. God knows everything. God knows everything. His memory doesn't change. He's aware. And believers, we need to take comfort in that character attribute attribute of God, that God's memory doesn't change. The third thing is that God knows everything, leads us right in there, that God, he knows everything. In verse 27, it says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. You know, they're talking about a time when they were wandering in the desert, and it's one of those times where you're like, really? Do you not think that God knows where you're at? As God's chosen people. You see this was referring to, to a time of, of sorrow, of grieving, of sadness, of stress and anxiety and maybe even fear. And they cry out to God and say, hey God, do you know where we're at? But I'm here to tell you this morning, God knows everything. He knows everything about everything. In fact, God knew thousands of years ago exactly who would be sitting 
in this sanctuary this morning. He knows what's going to happen to every one of you for the rest of today. He knows every decision that you're going to make. He, he knows everything because he is all-knowing. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever encountered these people that they know it all. <clears throat> I mean, have you ever worked with a person that knows it all? You know, they don't know how to do their job very well, but they know how to do everyone else's job very, very well. They would love to give you advice on how to do your job and how you could do it very well. Sometimes you have a coworker or somebody like that. I, what really bothers me, the one that gets under my skin the most, is weather. Um, I, I'm a weather buff. I love looking at weather forecasts. I've downloaded apps like uh, Mike, uh, Mike Bennett's storm chasing app with the tornadoes, the velocities and hail cores and tornadoes. And I've downloaded that app, and I have it on my phone and my iPad and my computer, and I look at it. And I mean, I'm just into weather. And people come up to me all the time, and, well, you know, on Wednesday, it's supposed to rain, and I'm always like, really? Where where did you get your information? Well, I saw it on the news about three weeks ago that Wednesday it's going to rain. I'm like, really? Well, you're a real smart guy there. But, you know, I'm not trying to be prideful or anything, but they have had an update or two since then. I mean, I can tell you the times that the National Weather Service out of Norman updates on their website and where you can go to the updates during the day. I just It's just something I'm into. I love watching storms. I, I like the weather. So... It really frustrates me that some people come sometimes and they're like, they're like a weather know-it-all. You know, it's like they're trying to tell me, oh, well, you know, I might do this and I might do that. And it's like, trust me, I, I can see this. But I'm here to tell you, God actually knows everything. Because God controls everything. The Bible calls God omniscient. That's a compound word, two parts. Omni meaning all. And the shunt come from science, meaning that he is all-knowing. There are no surprises with God. He already knows everything. So when you're surprised in your life with some news that comes up, when you're surprised in your life because of a situation that arises, when you're surprised in your life that you fell into that sin pattern again, when you're surprised in your life that that relationship is not going the way that it should, God's not surprised because he's all-knowing. And that's why the Bible says that we should tap into his wisdom and into his infinite knowledge. We get to verses 28 and 29 in our, our passage, and it just talks about the power of God. It says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding, again, talking about his mind, his understanding is unsearchable. You could search Google all the time, you wouldn't find the understanding of God out there. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases their strength. There's a brand in boxing, boxing gloves, boxing bags, uh, training equipment for boxing called Everlast. If you've ever read the story of that company, Everlast got the name because they wanted you to be able to beat the snot out of their bags and for them to last forever, for them to never get a hole, for them to be so well made that you could punch them and punch them. And just beat them, and they would take a beating, and they would last. So they came up with, with the name Everlast to talk about their boxing equipment company. But God is truly the only thing that lasts. He's the everlasting God because he is all-powerful. In fact, God is the only one that has the power to create. You see, we say, well, we can create something. I can write something, or I can draw something, you know, take a pencil and 
a piece of paper and we can map something out and say, hey, that's something that's never been drawn before, never been written before. But God is really the only one that can truly create because we think, well, wait, we just created something. God creates the pencil and the paper that we would draw with. He creates from nothing. We create from something, and everything that we have comes from him. So really, in essence, God is the true creator, and true creation is making something from nothing. And it says there that we will grow tired and weary but he will not ever tire or grow weary. He will always have energy. He will always keep going. He has a plethora of power. He passes out his power to the weak, it says. Think about the Israelites fighting all of their battles in the Old Testament. How many times were the Israelites outmanned, outweaponed, outstrategized, but they win battle after battle after battle? It's because... The power of God was with them. They weren't doing and getting those results on their own power. They were getting that from God's power. And all of those wins and all of those victories come from the power of God. And that's why we are called as believers to call upon the power of God in our lives. Because that's only when we'll have true victory. You talk about stories in the Bible like David and Goliath. Okay, Remember David? He's got his stones. He goes to slay the giant Goliath. He takes a stone. He flings it. hits him in the forehead. Kills Goliath. Do you really think that story is about David being a good shot? Do you really think that's like the whole purpose of the story? Hey, David's just a really good rock thrower, man. I mean, he was just awesome that way. No, it was the power of God working through that circumstance. This like Goliath. You see, God is all-powerful. And then we get to verses 30 and 31. It says, even you shall faint and be weary. It says... And young men shall fall exhausted. Even young people that seem to have a lot of energy, they pale in comparison. They're not as strong as God. Verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, God is stronger than anyone or anything. And here it reminds us that that even in our flesh, Even the prime athlete gets tired, but only those who wait on the Lord, only those who hope in the Lord will actually renew their strength. Interesting thing about those words um, used in that verse there in 31, for those that wait upon the Lord. That word wait means to wait, to look for, to hope, to expect. It's not like we're waiting, oh, those who wait on the Lord, like, okay, come on, God. You know, we're waiting. It's like, no, no, it's talking about those who are expecting the Lord to show up. Those who are hoping, waiting in expectation and looking forward to the Lord's work in their life. And it says what? It's interesting. It doesn't say that he'll give you strength. It says what? That he will renew your strength. Literally, that word means exchange. That he will exchange. And it is used as an example in the changing of clothes. So it's almost like giving us this imagery that we are taking off our fleshly clothes and putting on like the full armor of God so that we can have God's strength in our lives. Those who hope and wait in the Lord, they can exchange their limited strength for God's unlimited strength. And strength will truly rise when we wait upon the Lord, the song says. And then what's interesting is he gives us a little illustration here with birds. It's not just birds in general, it's actually eagles. 
Eagles uh, specifically are members of the raptor family. What's unique about eagles uh, more than any other bird is eagles can fly three ways, and all, all other birds can do this. The three ways to fly if you're a bird, the first way is flapping, and that's the one we're most familiar with. A bird gets up, it jumps, and it starts to flap, and it pushes air. The second way to fly is gliding. Gliding is usually after they've flapped to a certain height, they can actually glide. But glide gives you the idea that they're actually going to come down to the earth. They're not gliding up, they're, they're just gliding down. And, and there's more movement to gliding. But then there's a third way to fly, and it's called soaring. And it's what's referenced here in the passage. Specifically like eagles that soar. Eagles can actually jump out of something and just soar, and they never have to flap their wings. They are so big and so well-designed aerodynamically that they can just rise up and go down. It's been recorded that eagles can, can soar for hours and never make a movement other than shifting their weight in the tail. And they can just soar. And it says here that we shall mount up on wings like eagles and that we will be able to be like eagles and that we can soar. But we can only do it with the strength of God. I mean, many of you are looking at your life and your circumstances right now, and you're like, man, I'd like to be able to soar. I'd like to be able to glide and, and soar and go above where I'm at right now because this is not a good situation that I'm, that I'm in. And you can if you depend on the power of the Lord and his might. The last attribute and characteristic of God that I want us to understand this morning is that God is love. He loves you. And that will never change. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Think about this. Why did God create us? What was the point? It's because he loved us. He wants to have a relationship with us. Why would God pursue us, even to the point of sending his son to die on a cross? So that we can have hope of eternal life in heaven with him. Why would God pursue us like that? because he loves us why would God bless us when we're sinful people and we go against his way so many times in our life why would God even think about blessing us blessing his children it's because he loves us he has a great love for us and it's probably one of his greatest attributes and one that we need to remember the most because the Bible says that God is love and because God is love, and he loves you so much, he invites each and every person to be a part of his family. He invites you to take your trust and your faith and to put it completely in him. And if you do that, then he welcomes you in with open arms. And you get to tap into all that we learned about God today. Because we know that God holds the world and he holds us. Our problems, no matter how big they are, they're never bigger than our God. No matter how long they last, they will never outlast the eternal God. This is the God of love that makes grace so irresistible that it just draws us in because it's so powerful and it's so freeing to leave a life of sin and to go God's way and to start a pro process of becoming more like him. 
And because God is truly powerful, He has the ability to change our hearts. Because He is truly loving, loving and truly sovereign, He has the power to draw us to Himself. And even in us, fulfill His vision for redemption for the lost world. Things are going to change in this world. There's going to be shifts and the earth is going to go the way of the world. There's going to be cultural shifts and there's going to be things that we don't like see as the world around us seems to get more evil and more evil and more evil. But God isn't nervously wringing his hands on the sideline wondering what's going to happen next. He is large. He is in charge. He knows everything. And I want you to remember this morning that earth may have its princes, but the universe has its God. And you need to take a step of faith if you never have, and you need to trust the Lord. One of the amazing things about technology today is uh, you can actually go online, you could Google this, and you can actually watch eagles in their nests. It's amazing. Something that you don't get to see very often. They have these things called eagle cams, and they're at national parks, and people have crawled up close to eagles' nests, put cameras at different angles, so you can actually watch eggs hatching, watch the eagles and the baby eagles and moms and dads, you know, bringing them food and they're starting to grow and they get their feathers. But one thing that's amazing is when these baby eagles start to get to that age where they need to fly, it's not a real awesome, graceful process. They don't just wake up one day and go to the edge of the nest and say, today's the day I'm going to fly and start flapping and just jump out of the nest. No, instead, mom or dad, they have to kind of nudge the little baby eagles to the edge of the nest. And you feel like if you could hear their little voices, they're saying, I'm scared. <laughs> I, I don't know how to do this, and I'm scared, and I have a lot of fear, and please don't make me do it. Please, I just want to stay here in the comfort zone. Stay here in the nest. This is the comfort zone. Well, the mommy and daddy eagles, they keep nudging those baby eagles to the edge until at some point, they knock them out of the nest. The reason the eagles' nests are so high, I figured out, is because there's a second or two of flailing that happens. There's a second or two they get out of the nest and they haven't figured it out, and they're flapping, and they're using their wings, and then all of a sudden something happens, and they like catch a draft or something in their wing, and then they, oh, oh, wait, wait, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm not falling to the ground, I'm not gonna die here, I can actually fly. And I'm sure that getting out of the nest is way more exciting for an eagle, and I'm sure they're appreciative of their moms and dads for pushing them because it's a, it's a step of faith to get out of that comfort zone of the nest. I feel like that's where a lot of us are in our relationship with God. We stay in the comfort zone of the nest, and we don't take steps of faith toward God. And yet God's right there behind us saying, hey, I've got you. Uh, you've got this cover. You can do this. We're going to depend on my strength now. We're going to depend on my power now. I can heal. I can forgive. I am God. And I'm right here with you. You can do this. And so many of us are right there on the edge of the nest. And it's like, but I'm scared. I don't want to go. I can't go. I don't think I can. And we're fighting God and going, pulling back. But it's that moment that we're here this morning. Or we have a choice. Are we going to go? Are we going to trust God? Are we going to allow him to push us to that edge and walk into a new saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are we going to draw back and stay in the safe comfort zone? This morning, God is calling each and every one of us to a relationship with him. Maybe for some of us, it's a deeper relationship with him where you really operate by faith. 
you quit praying your little small prayer request about bless me and keep me safe. And you actually start praying some big prayers like God help me win lost souls to your son Jesus Christ. Hey Lord, help me, help me to do the ministry that you've called me to. Help me to serve others and to love others. Help me to worship you like from the heart and spirit and in truth. That when I come on Sunday mornings at 10.30 or at nine o'clock, I am ready to worship God because he is worthy. But God, do that change in my heart and may I just step in and step out of the nest and step into a relationship with you. And maybe for some of you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for some of you, you've been on the edge of the nest for days or weeks or months or some of you for years. And the fact is, you don't need to hear another sermon. You don't need to hear another Bible lesson. You don't need to hear another prayer. You just need to take a step of faith. And you need to choose to trust God more than you're going to trust anything else in this world. And if you're there this morning, we invite you to come. We're going to sing a song. And there's going to be decision guides and elders over here. We invite you to just walk over there and talk to someone about your relationship with God as we sing. So let's stand. Let's say a prayer. And then we're going to sing together. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity we have now to respond to your word, to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. And I pray, God, that so many of us, we're on the edge of our nest, we're in the comfort zone, and you're right there behind us, God, and you're pushing us, and you're saying, trust me, trust me, you can do this, trust me. Get out of your comfort zone and go. God, you're cheering us on, and you're holding us truly in your hand. And Lord, I just pray that today we would choose to go your way, to know that you're the one that is always going to be there for us. And God, we love you and we thank you for that. And we pray it in Jesus' name.